Yeah, thanks. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you that we can be here and just continue to be encouraged in the ministry that you have for us. And Lord, we're grateful that you desire to use us, and especially in a day in which we're in, to minister to our families, to minister to the body of Christ, those who are not in the body of Christ, that we can be a light to them. And so we desire for you to just speak to our hearts, even as we speak about being led by the Spirit. And that's so important because there's a lot of formulas that are out there, a lot of things that can persuade us. And Lord, we have your word, we have your Spirit, and I pray that you'd speak to our hearts in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, while I'm thinking about it, Christy, raise your hand. She has some bags. We live in a day and age where uh, plastic bags you have to pay for, and, and I'm having to change my habit of getting actually a bag in my car, and I don't have any. So anyway, um, Tony, her husband, makes is it blankets for the Pregnancy Resource Center? And so he's made some of these tote bags, and if you'd like to just give a donation, then he turns that into uh, the resources that he needs to make those blankets for the resource center. It's a tremendous blessing. So I wanted to, to mention it. She'll have some of those bags there. You can talk to her if you want one. And uh, otherwise, I'll forget when we get through the teaching and everything. So open up your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah is towards the end of the Old Testament, and I'm going to read the first 10 verses. Today we're going to talk about being spirit-led in ministry. I think this is really important uh, for us to look at Scripture, uh, to consider, to uh, apply into our own lives, because we live in a day and age where there's more books about ministry, there's more conferences about how to minister, there's more, uh, you know, seminars, there's weekend, you know, uh, conferences, all, all these different things, resources that are, are out there. You can go into the Christian bookstore and there's all kinds of books on how to minister. And uh, me as a pastor, I get stuff just about every single week uh, in the email or in the mail about the latest conference, uh, latest uh, you know, video series, whatever it might be that you can buy for a couple hundred dollars uh, to, you know, help you in your ministry. And, you know, I'm not saying that's all bad, but I do know this, that we have the word of God and we have the spirit of God to lead us. And I think that today is going to be a real encouragement with all the information, all the noise, all the voices that are out there. We need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so today, as we go into Zechariah chapter 4, we're going to read the verse 10 verses here. Zechariah, this takes time, uh, it takes place after the 70 years of captivity are over. A lot of you came to our Daniel study, and Daniel ministered through the whole 70 years of captivity. And then Cyrus, when he came and took Babylon and made a decree that they could go back and rebuild the temple. Keep in mind that the temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. So Solomon's temple was leveled. Uh, it was destroyed. Uh, Jerusalem was. And 
the 70 years of captivity were over, he makes the decree. Isaiah prophesies about it uh, in his book, 200 years before it even happened, that they could go back and rebuild the temple. So that's the first thing that they would do. Only about 50,000 would go back. You might think that's a lot, but that's a small number compared to those who stayed behind into captivity. They had settled in. Jeremiah, in his book, you read about how Jeremiah told them when they went into captivity, they, they were thinking, has the Lord forgotten about us? There was the false prophets that were on the scene that were saying, oh, the captivity is only going to last a couple years. Uh, you're not going to be here long. And as time went on, it was Jeremiah that was told by the Lord, write a letter to them, tell them to settle into where they're at, live at peace with the people, uh, plant gardens, have children. And I know my thoughts towards you, they're thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And so that was Jeremiah's ministry that ended about the time that the temple was destroyed. Daniel continued to minister, and when he would go off the scene, uh, eventually, the Bible doesn't tell us, uh, he was an elderly man when he would uh, remain in Babylon. But as the uh, captives, some of them would go back, they were led by Zerubbabel, the civil leader, and Joshua, the high priest. And this is where Zechariah, Haggai, that they're prophesying during this time period, after the captivity is over. And then, of course, you have Malachi that would come about 400 years before Jesus was born. He's prophesying the last book of the Old Testament. And then between the Old Testament and the New Testament, when uh, Zacharias is there in the temple, the angel comes and says, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be John, John the Baptist. Those are 400 years of the silent years. So just a little time frame so that you know the time period of what is taking place here. We read in verse 1, Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who's waking out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? So I said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl, the other on its left. Verse 4, so I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. He shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace and grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, verse 9, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. So Zerubbabel, being on the scene, has a message to, or uh, uh, Zechariah, the prophet, has a message to give to Zerubbabel. Again, he was the civil leader. Joshua, not Joshua of Jericho fame, but Joshua at this time that would come back as the religious leader. He was the high priest. He's seen in chapter 3. as He's the one standing before the Lord, and, and there's Satan accusing him. And, and the Lord said, rebuke you, Satan. Take those robes off of Joshua and give him clean. 
clean robes. And it's a wonderful picture of a truth that's given to us that we are robed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. All of our robes, all of our clothing, all of our righteousness are as filthy rags before the Lord is what the scripture tells us in the book of Isaiah. So in this book, Zechariah is an amazing book. He has eight visions that are told to us um, in these chapters. And here is this vision that he has of this menorah, seven-branch menorah that had bulls on top of it. And in the Old Testament days, it would be filled with oil. The priests, one of their duties was to fill those bulls full of oil, and they had wicks floating around, and they had to make sure that the light was still burning there in the, in the tabernacle, in the temple. And that was the duties of the priests. But here in this vision, it was different. And what it was is there was these pipes coming, leading to the seven bulls, and then there was two olive trees that would have the pipes going uh, into um, uh, the seven bulls there. And it was, I think Zechariah, seeing this, would think, well, this is kind of neat. There was the solid gold with the bull on top of it, verse 2, and on the seven, seven lamps with seven pipes and two to seven lamps. So the olive trees fed the bull, seven pipes that went into the uh, uh, seven bowls of the menorah. And that would mean that the oil was continually just being flowed to, being supplied there to that menorah. And you would look at it and think, that's pretty neat. There was a message that was to be given to uh, Zerubbabel, the civil leader. Now, what happened when they came back to rebuild the temple, they laid the foundation of the temple. They pushed aside, as you read those books of Ezra, uh, the book of Ezra, later would come Nehemiah when he would build the wall around Jerusalem. But they pushed the rubble aside and they built the foundation of the temple is what they did. And then all of a sudden the work stopped. And as you read about it in the book of Ezra, uh, there was confusion. Did Cyrus really make the decree? Uh, the enemies came against uh, the Jews there at that time. The work stopped. The people were afraid. It was overwhelming uh, because uh, of all the rubble that was there. But they made the altar so they could do the sacrifices. And by the way, just a little prophetic note. We know that in the tribulation period that there's going to be another temple. So there was the first temple. Here they're going to be building a second temple that ended up being destroyed in 70 A.D. We know that in the tribulation period there's going to be another temple, right? And what I've always said is the tribulation temple is what is told to us. I've always said, don't be surprised that they make the altar first before the building. As a matter of fact, uh, the last time that we were at the Temple Institute in Jerusalem, they were telling us that we can do sacrifices without a building. And I just found that very interesting. It follows the book of Ezra. But here they laid the foundation, and all of a sudden the work stopped for a number of years. For like 12, 13 years, the work stopped. And, you, and what happened is the people began to turn inwardly. They began to focus on their own homes. And Haggai comes along, the next book, and he begins to address that. He says, it's time to get back to doing the work of the Lord. And I think the theme of Haggai is consider your ways. 
Uh, and I love that. It's, it's only a couple chapters. He says, it's time to get back to doing the work of the Lord. It's time to get back to finishing the temple. Uh, it's important. You've turned inwardly. You're building your panel houses. And you need to consider your ways. And that's something that the Lord really put on my heart when we were going through this whole COVID thing. Uh, it seemed like everything stopped for a while. And, and people, you know, were, were trying to figure it out themselves. We were at home for a while. And I really remember the Lord speaking to me through the book of Haggai saying, it's time to get back to the work of the Lord. It's time to get back it's to doing what he's called you to do. And we would move forward in that. But I think there's an important consideration in consider your ways. I'm so glad that you guys are here. And I'm so blessed by this, this fellowship because we are being called to do the work of the Lord, whatever that might mean for you. And it's such a, a great blessing and joy and privilege to serve the true and the living God. And we don't want to be ones where we just turn inwardly and we're just focused on, you know, our, uh, what we want for ourselves. I'm not saying we can't enjoy life, we can't take vacations, we can't do home projects, any of those things. That's not what I'm saying. But we don't want to forget that we are called to serve him and that it's a privilege to serve the Lord and that he needs to be the priority every area of our lives. And we have the opportunity, wherever that you're at, stage of life, whatever opportunities that you have, to really serve him and consider your ways. Because what can happen, and we'll talk more about it, we're going to talk about next week the faithfulness of ministry and then endurance in ministry. Usually what happens is with a lot of people's, you know, I'll do this ministry, I'll do it for a short time, and then I've done it, been there, done that, and they kind of quit. And then they go and do their own thing. And I'm not saying this to be critical. It's just a reality. Jesus would say that be careful that you don't get weighed down with drunkenness, carousing, and the cares of life. And I've, I've taught on this before that you know, we all have cares of life. You may be thinking, I'm not going to get weighed down with drunkenness or carousing. I'm a Christian. I, I don't do those things. But all of us have cares of life. And it's very, very easy to get weighed down with the cares of life. We have jobs. We got families we're raising. We got, you know, things that are taking place with the kids. All these things that do take a lot of time and we need to prioritize. But I pray for all of us that we would not push the Lord out of our lives. That, Lord, I don't have time to serve you. And I can hear those things sometimes. I'll serve the Lord. I'll get serious about, you know, doing what I believe he wants me to do or using your gifts because you get weighed down with the cares of life. Jesus said, be careful of that. And, and so it's different for all of us to be in prayer, to be seeking him. Lord, what is it that you want me to do? And I, I, I don't want to get weighed down just with the cares of life. Yes, I have a family. Yes, I have to work hard. Yes, you know, we have things that we're going to do. Yeah, the kids are involved in sports and all of this. But I want to consider my ways. And that's between you and the Lord as you go to the Lord. Lord, what is it that you want me to do? And then to walk in obedience in that. So here they laid the foundation. The work stopped. The people turned inwardly. Haggai comes along and says, consider your ways. It's time to get back to the work of the Lord. And can you imagine what it must have been like for Zerubbabel and for Joshua? 
he probably felt like we're failures. Here we, you know, come back. We laid the foundation. The work has stopped. The people have turned inwardly. I'm sure Joshua must have felt like a failure as a spiritual leader. Zerubbabel trying to exhort the people. They're at a discouraged state here, I believe, when this word comes to them. And as this word comes to them, I think there's four things here. I'm going to start at verse 10 and kind of work backwards, actually, that hopefully will be a blessing to you as we consider being led by the Spirit. In number one, in verse 10, he says, For who has despised the day of small things? I have that underlined in my Bible. Matter of fact, uh, one of the things, uh, Luke, that I want to do, Luke Mullins, it's here somewhere, um, that one of the pamphlets that I want to, a ministry pamphlet, is don't despise the day of small things. Being here 27 years, there was just a lot of years, and the years kind of, come together and they they blend together but there was a lot of years where I thought Lord why isn't anything happening why isn't the church growing faster why isn't things you know happening in this area why why you know all of a sudden it just seems like we're moving forward but are we gaining ground and there's always that that mindset that can be in us of this is small you know, and I would think, Lord, my ministry is not important, it is uh, not significant, because I was despising the day of small things. And I've come to realize this. First of all, there, there is no small ministry. Whatever he has you to do, whatever he's called you to do, that it is not small in the eyes of the Lord. And as you're doing it, it's important for the Lord that you do that ministry that he's called you to do. We've already talked about that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he's, you know, ordained, you know, prepared beforehand. And he has something for you to do. And the gifts and callings of God, as Paul would write in the book of Romans, are irrevocable. In other words, that what he's called you to do is no mistake. And the ministry that he has you to do is very important to him. Only you can do it. No one else can do it. And, and being in that place at work and being in that place in your family and here in the body of Christ. So don't despise the day of small things. Don't think, if only I had more people. That's, that was a trap that I was into a little bit because we look at the world and the world has a different definition of success, Right? If it's more grand and it's bigger and you're more popular and you have this size of building. And I used to think, Lord, uh, I should have this many people. I should have this ministry taking place. This should be going on. And it's not happening and despising the day of small things. Wherever God has you right now, don't despise it. Be content with it. And know that it's important to the Lord. And, and there was a lot of time that I think that, that you know, I kind of agonized over that. You know, why don't we have more that's taken place and more people and more of this? And the Lord finally helped me to realize, Jeff, you're not content. Second of all, if you are not loving those 100 people that are coming, are you going to love the 200 people that are coming? If you're not loving the 200, are you going to love the 300? To be thankful for those who are coming. 
Be thankful for the ministry that God has given to you, what he's called you to do. And there might be times where you are teaching a discipleship group and one person shows up or two people show up. Or you're teaching the children's ministry and only a couple kids come. Or maybe in the youth or whatever it might be. And you're thinking there should be more and more should be happening and all of this. Be content where God has you. Don't despise the day of small things. Second of all, as we go into verse 9. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple and his hands shall also finish it. And then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Zerubbabel, your hands started to lay the foundation of this temple. Here's a word, and he needed to hear this. That the hands that started it are going to be the hands that finished it. And I've already mentioned to you some verses in the scripture that, you know, he has begun a good work in us, will bring it to completion, especially in the day of Christ Jesus. And that was a verse that brought a lot of peace to me. That's why I think I'm being a little bit redundant in, in mentioning that verse. Because I realized that I don't have to strive. I don't have to struggle. That I can rest in the fact that being confident of this very thing, he's begun that good work in me. And he will bring it to completion. And I also know that David would write in the Psalms that he will perfect that which concerns me. So I don't have to, to worry about, Lord, did you forget about me? And, and there were times where I, I knew deep down inside that he didn't, but I'm wondering, Lord, are you paying attention? I'm despising a day of small things. My ministry must not be important. So, you, you know, it's just kind of a domino effect, and I've got to make something happen, or uh, in, rather than just resting in, Lord, you're going to finish that which concerns me, and you're going to see me through. And you're going to help me. You're going to be faithful to me in the ministry that you've called me to do. So the hands that started it, Zerubbabel, are going to be the hands that finish it. Thirdly, this is important, that as we read in verse 7, backing, going back through the text, working upward, that why are you, O great, uh, who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. It seemed like there was a mountain of problems that were there. And in ministry, it can seem like as we're moving forward, there's mountains of, of, of problems or challenges or difficulties or disappointment that are before us. And the Lord says, I'm going to make it plain. And it's all by grace, shouts of grace to grace. And understand this. When he uses any of us in our lives, we're saved by grace and in the ministry that he has for us, whether it's to our children or to a discipleship group or, you know, out in the community or here in the body of Christ, it's all by grace. Always remember that it is not I'm such a wonderful person and I am so smart and I'm so gifted. And I'm so talented that, you know, I'm going to be able to minister in this powerful way. It's all by grace. And I know that he's allowed me to be in 30 years of ministry only by his grace. It isn't because I deserve it. It isn't because I'm such a genius. It isn't because any of those things. I'm just, it's amazing. That's what I love about the disciples that followed after Jesus. They were ordinary men that did an incredible work by the work of the Spirit, God calling them. 
He didn't go to Jerusalem and get the religious leaders involved in, in spreading the gospel. Of course, they were corrupt and came against Jesus. But he didn't look for the elite. He went and he looked for fishermen. He, he, he went up north and ordinary men. And it's incredible to see how God used them. And it was all by grace. And I think one of the reasons why Paul was such a champion of grace and had that message of grace to others is because he understood. Here I was. I was a Pharisee of Pharisee. I went against the church. I I persecuted the church. I was a waster of the church. I was an insolent man. But yet God called me. He called me to give this gospel of grace to others, and it's all by grace. The unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God. And listen, if any of us ever get to the point where we think, I deserve this, we're in big trouble. God will deal with this because he will not share his glory with any man or any woman. And he will deal with our pride. And I have to be very careful because sometimes... That somebody will say, oh, Pastor Jeff, that was a wonderful teaching. You're smart or, you know, you're gifted or whatever. And they're just complimenting, and I appreciate the encouragement. But I don't want it to read too much of my own, you know, press clippings, you know, the expression. And usually the Lord is pretty good about it because after that, somebody will come along and say, well, I didn't really like that. Or <laughs> just kind of humble me. <laughs> it's good. All right. It's all by grace. It, it, the longer I think that as Sue and I, as we pray, you know, about the ministry here and what God is doing, I think we marvel more at his incredible grace that he would use us. And I know for me that it just, to use somebody like me, because I know that I wasn't qualified. When I first became a, a pastor, it was like people were going, you're a pastor, you know, did you go to seminary? You know, did you do this? And it's like, no, um, it's all by his grace. And he will call you and he will prepare you. See, the world a lot of times is we got to prepare you first and then you can have your calling. But the Lord will say, I'm going to call you to this. And it's just like the disciples. I love, that's why I love reading about Peter. You know, Peter was called, I'm going to make you a fisherman of men, Peter. And as Peter, you read about him more than any of the other disciples, stuck his foot in his mouth. You know, he was presumptuous. He, you know, he even went as far as he denied the Lord. But God used him. And God used him. And remember that it's by his grace we are saved. And it's by his grace that he uses us. And we can be thankful for that. It's not because I deserve it. It's because I'm, you know, it, it keeps us humble before the Lord as we remember it's all by grace. And then as number four, as we go to verse six, and he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. It's not my might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That was a, a real um, important verse for me. When you go into ministry, usually, the Lord lays some verses on your hearts that, that guide you and direct you, that, that really minister to you. This was one of them. That I was despising the day of small things. And Lord, why isn't more happening? And the Lord finally was ministering to me saying, listen, 
that I'm going to complete the work that I've begun. You just need to rest and let me do that work. Put your agendas aside, your expectations aside. Just trust in me. Here's the thing. We can trust in the Lord. Sometimes it's hard to rest in the Lord, at least for me, to rest in him and rest in what he's doing. Just that assurance that, Lord, you're working and you're going to be faithful and your word is going to you know, guide me and you're going to see me through. And I'm just going to rest in that. I'm going to rest in your love and in your promises because I tend to be a worrier. I can worry about everything. And I've come to realize this, that those who worry like to control things. And that's what I want to do. I want to control every little thing. And everything that happened, if something didn't go right, I was all uptight and go home. And poor Sue had to deal with me for the rest of the week. And this went wrong. And this went wrong. And it's over. Matter of fact, um, the very first Christmas Eve service that we had, we're, we're brand new. We're downtown. We got probably, you know, 30 people in the church at Christmas Eve. And a guy came in, and he started yelling. Came off off the street and started yelling. And that bothered me so bad. I mean, it affected me for years. I was thinking, nobody's going to come back. We'll have no more Christmas Eve services. You know, all these things. And I'm thinking, I'm going to trust you, Lord, if you're going to see us through. But I wasn't resting that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, that, Lord, that you are the one that planted this church. Even before the world began, you knew that Calvary Chapel Greeley was going to be here. And you've called us to this ministry, and I can rest in that and trust in that. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And it's being led by the Spirit of God that I always want to be in that place. I remember Pastor Chuck, he, one of the books that he wrote, I can't remember it's, if it's the man God uses or um, grace changes everything, but he would talk about when he was first in ministry. And he ministered for like 17 years before he started Calvary Chapel. He was a four-square minister. The church was small. Uh, it didn't grow much. He was frustrated. He was working as a, in a grocery store. And he went through some of the same things, but God was preparing him, as we talked about last week. And as he was preparing him, you know, Pastor Chuck would, would use this verse, um, that knowing that it's not by my conniving, it's not by my might, it's not by my resources, it's not by my smarts, it's by your spirits as the Lord of hosts. And when you come to that place of saying, Lord, you lead me and guide me by your Holy Spirit. Because as I said at the beginning of the teaching, there's so much that is out there. And I'm not saying it's all bad. But the tendency in ministry today is I can't really minister unless I go to that conference. I can't minister. And and people will send me a lot of resources They'll send me these video clips. You need to listen to this guy. You need to listen to this YouTube. And what's happening today is a lot of ministers are being led by YouTube videos and the voices of this person, and they can be good. And I'm not saying we can't learn from them. I've had great examples of those in ministry, one being Pastor Chuck Smith, the one who just taught the Word of God. And he said, this is what you do. You love your people and you feed them. That's what you do. 
And I thought, that's good. I can take that and I can go with it. People ask me, what's the vision for Calvary Chapel? To make sure you're the best fed, best loved sheep in Greeley. And I know that God's still working in me in that, in, in moving forward and growing in that. But there are those who will say, you know, I listened to this, but then this person said that, and we can't do this, but can we do this? And they struggle rather than just reading the word of God and being led by the spirit of God. There are so many today that are just being pulled in many directions. I almost feel sorry for young guys that go into the ministry because they're going to base their ministry on what's the latest fad or the latest book or the latest thing that's going on that's going through the church. And and that's what they do, and they wrestle with it rather than being led by the Lord. And what can happen is, and it can happen in different ways, in ministry, with your family, uh, whatever it is, that we can think, okay, I've got to come up with a plan. I've got to come up with, with something. Uh, and it may be good intentions, and we're going to do this, and Lord, we're going to do this, so you get behind me and you bless it. Rather than, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? And I'll get behind you. And then I know that you'll lead me and you'll bless it. There's a big difference in that. So you always want to be careful. I think that I drive the, the board crazy because I won't move forward unless we're moving forward together. And a verse that the Lord has given to me is in Second Chronicles chapter 30, where Hezekiah was doing the, the Passover, and there was great revival going on. And it tells us that the hand of the Lord was on Judah, and there was a singleness of heart. And that's a verse that the Lord gave to me, that this is where we're going to move forward in things. And we don't have to strive. We don't have to connive. We don't have to manipulate. We don't have to have all the committees and all of that. I'm not saying committees are bad, but as long as they are being led by prayer and the Word of God. That churches do. To be led by the Spirit of God in where we're going to go and move forward. And I'll tell you what, it's an amazing thing as the Lord begins to speak to you and begins to uh, just guide you and direct you. And you might be thinking, well, how, how do you know that the Spirit's speaking to you? Here's a couple of references. Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30. Woe to the rebellious children of Israel, for you seek counsel but not of me. And you're going to Pharaoh. You're going to Egypt. And unfortunately, there can be ministries that they kind of look to the world to get counsel. How it is that we can reach people. How we can grow things. Uh, how we can, you know, um, you know, just draw people in and all these things. And, and so he says, woe to you that, that go to Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh's not going to help you, his wisdom. The fast Arabian horses are not going to help you defeat the Assyrians. And he says to the children of Israel, what you need to do is come back to me. You need to come back to me. You need to come to me. And in coming to me will be your strength. You need to come to me for counsel. Second of all, you need to wait on me. That is a hard thing, waiting on the Lord. Because we do live in an instant world. And I don't know about you, but I get really impatient. I want things done yesterday. And to wait on the Lord, I know the Lord has told me, and he still is. There are things that are on my heart today that the Lord is saying, you need to wait. You're going to wait, and you're going to trust in me. 
And he promises that he'll be gracious to those who wait on him. He'll be good to those who wait on him. He'll strengthen those who wait on him. But in our spiritual lives, we need to learn as we go to him, that we wait on him. And then thirdly, Isaiah chapter 30 says that he will speak to us. He promises to be that voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it. Go to the left, go to the right. When we make decisions about certain things, it's true with your family, it's true in your ministry, that Colossians tells us that he gives us a peace that rules in our hearts. That's what Paul prayed. I pray that the peace of God may rule in your heart. And that word rule, as I've told some of you, that that word rule literally means a baseball umpire. The Lord is saying, let me make the call. And there have been times where we were to move forward and I didn't quite have a piece about it and it didn't rule in my heart. And I went ahead and did it and it became a mess. There was a caution. I just didn't quite feel right. And I've learned more and more over the years that if I don't have a piece that's ruling in my heart, then I need to, to wait or I need to just stop where we're at and not move forward in it. But I really believe that the Lord wants to direct us in that way. Remember last week we were reading from Leviticus chapter 8, the Urm and the Thummim. And it'd be nice if we, you know, if you came in my office and said, should I move forward in this, you know, I pull out a stone, a white stone, a black stone, yes, no, whatever. But we do have the Holy Spirit of God that is much better to rule in our hearts, to give us a peace. And if there isn't a peace that's there that's ruling, I'll just say, you know, we're going to wait. Or we're not going to move forward in this. And there have been most of the time, well, I think just about every time, that the Lord has revealed to me why. And that would not have been good. Or I didn't want you to go in this direction. Or that would have been too much of a burden. So that's how he desires to, to speak to us. He does desire to speak in that still, small voice. Remember that it was Elijah... He calls down fire from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, the wood of the sacrifice. And then it's Jezebel that says, after he, you know, killed the prophets of Baal. And she says, I'm going to get you, Elijah. I'm going to lop your head off. So he makes a run for it, remember, down to the mountain of God. And as he's there, he, he's sleeping. As he's making his way there, an angel woke him up and said, Arise, Elijah, for the journey's long. You, you need to eat. And then he goes down into, you know, the mountain. He's there in the mountain of God in Arabia. And there was the wind. And there was the fire. And, and there was, you know, the storm that came. But the Lord wasn't in the wind or in the fire or in the earthquake is what it was. But he heard the still small voice of the Lord saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this cave? I got things for you to do. I used to think, Lord, you know, can you just some kind of spell it out in the sky? You know, something, you know, earth shattering happen. And sometimes I'll talk to people that will, you know, God, you know, did, you know, this, you know, this, you know, there's glowing and all, all this. And if that's what the Lord is doing in your life. But I know oftentimes for me, in this journey, that can be long, that I've had to really be sensitive to hearing 
the voice of the Lord. There's still a small voice of the Lord saying, Jeff, I want you to do this. I want you to meet this person. I want you to move here. And that's where you go back to having devotions, being open to the Lord. Lord, I have today, how are you going to lead me? How are you going to guide me? Speak to my heart. You've given me a piece about this. You haven't given me a piece about this. You promised that you'd be voice behind me saying this is the way you walk in it. And then we also have the word of God to guide us and direct us. And if you are wanting to do something that is against the word of God, or you know, don't do it. Because the word of God is given to us to guide us in every area of our lives. And I can honestly say that the ministry here, that I can look at the word of God, and the word of God has really guided me in a lot of areas. And this is one of them. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I don't have to strive. I don't have to strain. I don't have to come up with a plan. And it doesn't mean we don't plan. Of course we do. We do things to, to, to look at things. We have meetings. The staff meets every week. All these things that we do plan. But we're open to the leading of the Lord. And if he changes things, then we're going to go with it. And it's not going to be in a weird kind of way. You know, the Lord's not into weirdness. And, and there's some people that, that say, you know, our ministry, I've talked to some pastors, and we're going to do this, and it's like, it sounds kind of weird to me. But, but that's between them and the Lord. It, it's not going to be burdensome. It's not going to be um, confusing. You're going to have peace, and you're going to say, this is good. And it's going to be on your heart, and you're going to see the Lord bless it and strengthen you as you, you move forward in that way. Be sensitive to the leading of the Lord. The other thing I want to leave you with this, and because this has come up, and that is we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We really do. In the book of John, in chapter 16, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict everyone of sin, of sin, righteousness, and judgment, right? Then Jesus, in Luke's gospel, said, you guys wait here in Jerusalem, tarry in Jerusalem until you're empowered, until the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You're endued on power from on high, the promise of the Father. In John's gospel, it says that he then breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When you go to Acts chapter 1, when he told them to wait in Jerusalem for the coming upon of the Holy Spirit, that you may be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And there was the epi, the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of debate. I was talking with somebody about it this week, that there's a lot of debate about what's the empowering, what's the, is it the baptism, is it the filling? You can call it whatever you want. I just want to tell you what I see in the scriptures, that as believers, we have the Holy Spirit in us. But then he says, I want to empower you with the Holy Spirit. Deutomos is the Greek word where we get our word dynamite. And the purpose of it is that you may be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And for me, when I began my ministry, that it was, Lord, I want to be empowered by you. I know the Holy Spirit is in me. 
And, and the debate can come. People can say, well, what do you mean I need to have the empowering of the Holy Spirit? Don't I have the Holy Spirit? Uh, yes, you have the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm not saying that. And there's debate. Does it happen at the time of salvation? You know, all at once. You see in the book of Acts. But I know the pattern what I see is he says the Holy Spirit is in us. Romans chapter 8. If we don't have the Spirit of God, we're not his. But I also know that, that Jesus said that if you ask of your earthly father for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. How much more the heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So again, there can be a debate. I've read it to where, you know, real respected sources that say, well, you have to walk in obedience to receive the, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And that's kind of like, well, I don't think you can do that unless you have the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus said, ask. So as we close here, if you're feeling a little bit dry, just kind of a little bit, uh, let's just go to the Lord and pray, Lord, just fill me. I, I prayed that. It wasn't goosebumps. I didn't you know, stand up and start speaking in tongues and all of this. The purpose of it is to empower you to live that life and to do the ministry that God has called you to do. Lord, I just want more of you. Fill me. Come upon me. Epi. To empower me. And I believe that the Lord honors that. And he desires to do that for you. Just receive it by faith. That Lord, it is my heart. I know you're in me. The Holy Spirit of God in my heart. But I want to just more of you. I want more of you. I want you to fill me. I want you to empower me for what you've called me to do. So, Father, as we come and as we finish today, Lord, like it was 2,000 years ago, those disciples were empowered by you to go out and do their ministry. And we as believers, we, we have the Holy Spirit that dwells in our hearts. And yes, we are alive in regeneration, but Lord, I pray for anyone right now that says, Lord, I'm coming to my Father and asking. I want to be filled. I want to be empowered by you, by the Holy Spirit, that I may live as a witness and to serve you. Because I'm feeling dry. I'm I'm feeling weak. Fill me, Lord. I'm asking, and you promise in your word, Jesus said, that you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So right now, those who have that desire, just fill me, Lord. Whether we want to call it the baptism, the filling of the Holy Spirit, we know that there's an empowering. And Lord, that you would do that right now to those who are coming humbly before you. That you would fill them. And I know for me, I I need to be filled, Lord. I need to be guided by you, to hear that still, small voice. That is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And Lord, I pray that, that we would hear your still, small voice, that we would take heed to your word, knowing your word to guide us, that you give us a peace that rules in our hearts. And Lord, I know that as we trust in you, and then rest in you, that you will complete that work in us. 
and that you will do what you've set to accomplish in our lives. And Lord, I thank you that we can come together to serve the body of Christ, especially in the day in which we are in, where I see all the craziness and all the confusion and all the things that are going on. And it isn't, Lord, it isn't that people out in the world aren't trying to do good things, but Lord, we want to be spirit-filled, moving forward, being a light, being a witness in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, whatever you have for us. I thank you that we're here. I pray you bless our day. We look forward to tomorrow as we talk about walking in the Spirit and not after the flesh in, in Galatians. So, Lord, thank you. May we not despise the day of small things, knowing that it's all by grace what you called us to do, your salvation that comes by faith. And the just shall live by faith, and we should continue in grace. Thank you. Bless everyone here as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming. Next week, we're going to talk about faithfulness in ministry. Very important. Um, so I hope you can come for that tomorrow. Uh, we'll be here going through. We've got a couple more weeks of Galatians. And then after that, we're going to go in Philippians. Philippians is the book, book of joy. So I think it's going to be a tremendous blessing. I'm going to be here for a little bit. If you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. All right, God bless you guys. Thanks. <laughs>